that we could hang on to and hang everything on to in that relationship with our God. We have in our scriptures lots of commandments and teachings and guidelines and things of how God interacted with his people over the years and how he continues to interact with us now. But a lot of times we feel a little guilty for kind of underperforming. And what if Curly was right? And life could be distilled down to this one thing that we could give ourselves to. And if we did that one thing, everything else would kind of fall into place. All the pieces would fit. We would figure the puzzle of life out. Jesus, if he had just told us the one thing, or if John, the beloved, had told us just the one thing, or if Paul had told us just the one thing, or if Peter had just told us that one thing, how much simpler the walk in Christ would be. It would be so helpful to us. And sure enough, they did. And so I want you this morning to help me out. I'm going to divide you up into four groups. And you are going to read the Scriptures this morning. And first of all, we'll have group A. And so we'll have this group over here. You can be group A. And then we'll take uh, from, oh, Doc Weber there, uh, back. That'll be group two, okay? And then we'll have the rest of you be group three. And we'll have you guys be group four. And uh, so group um, one, will look at Matthew chapter 22, and you'll read it from the screen. I would like you to stand. Let me this group here. You will stand and read Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40 uh, that are on the screen there. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with questions. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, And then our second group in the back there. Uh, you will have John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. If you'd stand, thank you. Thank you. Then we'll have this group go ahead and stand, and you will be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Great, thank you. And now this group, if you would stand, and you have Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Great, thank you. The Lord's Word. The Lord's Word. And I don't know if you caught some of the things uh, as we were sharing in those scriptures together. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. That for Jesus, that was the essence of the law. That in one sentence or a couple of sentences there, he was able to contain the whole law and the prophets and, that he quoted. And then the second group, 
as they read a new command, Jesus giving a new commandment, adding something. That he hadn't done that before. And so he adds this command, but is it truly new? And the reality was that we find this command in scriptures, and I'll get to that in a moment. But love one another, and what will result? Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How are we known? How does it known that Christ is a part of our lives? It's by our walk. It's by our talk. It's by Christ's love shining forth from us. And they say, wow, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I would like to know more about that. I would like to receive that. And then the third group. Above all, First Peter text starts out, above all. That sounds like it's something important. It sounds like something we ought to pay attention to. And then Peter goes on to say that whatever else you do, do this one thing. You shall love each other deeply. Not just superficial love, hi, goodbye, and the narthexes were flying by each other, but to actually care for and about one another, to invest in one another. And then the final group read from Galatians 5, Paul's words. And Paul basically put it, uh, you know, uh, he was quoting Jesus. He was quoting Jesus' words. And Jesus had said, and Paul recites it or reiterates it again, what is called the Shema. Among the Hebrew people, the Israelites and so on, the Shema was this one kernel of truth that they would wear on their foreheads in front of them or in their wrists, uh, and they would have it on their doorposts and so on. And that was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, which the first part of that comes, the Shema comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. But then Jesus adds to that Shema what we often call the Jesus Creed because he adds Leviticus 19, 18, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Powerful as Paul gives that word to us. And How many times do you think <clears throat> that command that Jesus uh, sets up there, that Jesus Creed, how many times do you think that appears in the Bible? If you think uh, at least two times, raise your hand. You're a little bit timid, but okay. We just read it two times, so we know that one's the right answer. You can be confident here. Now it gets a little more dicey, okay? How many think four times it was said? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you are being courageous. Uh, How about uh, seven times, the biblical number, the perfect number of completion, seven times, at least seven times in the Bible. Okay, good. Oh, how about ten times? Bingo, yes. Okay, ten times that command's in there. And I can tell you that when God says that number of times something is important, it's, it's time for us to pay attention. It's time to sit on the edge of your seats and to be in anticipation of what God wants to do through that truth. And the truth here is that we are to love our God And we are to love one another and love our community, love our world, and love ourselves. It's important. Some form of the word love appears over 690 times in the Bible. Do you think love is important? I think so. And for the next few weeks of Lent, we're going to be exploring this topic, and we're going to call it Love Dare, uh, because I'm going to have a challenge for you. In a couple of weeks, I'll give you a tool that you can use to help yourself to grow in this area of love and what that would look like as we use our spiritual gifts that we've been talking about the last few weeks. 
Paul, in 1 Corinthians 13, looks deeply into this one thing. So I want to review for just a moment. What was chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians about? Anybody remember? Okay, spiritual gifts. What else? Who gave the gifts? Okay, so it's about the Holy Spirit and His work in giving the gifts. Uh, And why were they given? For the common good, they were given to build up the body of Christ. And that's what chapter 12 is about because that church was having some difficulties. And so Paul starts off or ends that chapter by saying in verse 31b, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And he goes into chapter 13. But then he comes out of chapter 13 into chapter 14, uh, the first verse where it says, follow the way of love. He kind of bookends on both sides that love is so critical, so important, the most essential thing, the excellent way, and bookends chapter 13, which we call the love chapter, where he does some teaching then about what this love should look like and be like. Another translation of 1 Corinthians 14 is, let your love be your highest goal. And in the RSV it says, make love your aim or your target, what you are progressing towards, what you are aiming for. And basically it's saying, love is your supreme value. Love is your supreme goal in life. Now, if you do not live a life of love, Paul states in 1 Corinthians 13 that really nothing else matters. It doesn't amount to anything. In chapter 13, verse 1, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I want you to think for a moment. Who are some of the great speakers, some of the great preachers, some of the great orators you can think of? And just call out the names. Billy Graham, okay. Dwight Moody. Dwight Moody. JFK. Ronald Reagan. Both great orders. Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King, a lot of great speakers. Uh, How about Adolf Hitler? Anybody think of him? Some of you are shocked. Others of you said, oh, yeah, I thought him, but I didn't dare say anything in church about him, Uh, and so on. Yeah, he was actually a very accomplished speaker. He won over a whole nation. And he actually illustrates Paul's point here in the text because Paul is saying no matter how skilled, how silver-tongued you are, if there's no love, it's useless. It can give itself to evil or to darkness. No love, no matter. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, the first part of it, says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains... But have not love, I am nothing. I am nothing. Do you remember that smart kid at school? Maybe you were the smart kid, so no offense here at all, okay? I never had that problem. But the smart kid at school, you know, we had two in our school. I think both, I don't think either of them ever missed a point the whole high school, ninth through 12th grade. I missed a lot of points. I was good at that. My spiritual gift was losing points on tests and quizzes and and papers and stuff. But these two did not. Uh, One was Greg Elliott. Now, Greg Elliott, he was a brain. And he let you know 
And if you didn't know, you knew within five minutes of talking to him. And he'd kind of rub your nose in his intellectualness. The other one was a much nicer approach to intellectual, and that is Marjorie Anderson, because she kind of epitomized love and compassion and being helpful and using her knowledge in ways and being kind of reserved and a little bashful about her mental achievements. Who are some of the greatest minds you can think of? Some really brilliant people. Einstein. It seems to come the first one. We must like his hairstyle or something. Uh, others? Okay, say that louder. Yeah, I love how that rolled off the tongue. That was good. Da Vinci, Edison, Newton, Galileo, you know, lots of really brilliant people and so on. Paul says that even if you were all those people rolled into one, like me, um, that, and you don't have love, you are nothing. doesn't matter how smart you are without love. And then he goes on in chapter 13, verse 3, um, I'm sorry, verse 2, the second part of it. He says, uh, if I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames without love, I gain nothing. Um, we can sometimes become very religious types. We are the kind of people, perhaps, that carry around our Bible, our little pocket Bible, you know, so that no, it'll be inconspicuous and nobody would notice that we are really a, quite a holy person, you know, actually. And uh, uh, these are people who um, are quick to let you know when you're wrong about some sort of a doctrine or interpretation or understanding of Scripture. And uh, these people kind of... Uh, like to rub your nose in it. They like to decimate you in an argument and make you whimper in the corner there as you've been bloodied up by this biblical discussion. And Paul says that, you know, this is, this is not good. This is nothing. We have to be using these for the body of Christ, and we have to be doing that in an attitude of love. In the Bible, these people are called Pharisees. I think today we call them so heavenly-minded they're no earthly good or something like that. Um, but Paul says, without love, zip, zilch, nada. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, we are not a religion. We are a way of life as the body of Christ. We are a living body. We live out love. We live a life of love. And so basically, Paul is saying that nothing you say matters, nothing you know matters, nothing we believe uh, matters without love. Think for a moment. In verse 3, when it talked about those who give. Who are the greatest philanthropists you can think of? A philanthropist is somebody who has been blessed and gives a lot of that blessing away to others to bless others. Okay, there's Bill Gates, yeah. 
Good. Warren Buffett, okay. Oprah, Rockefeller, Carnegie, Getty. Billions of dollars that they have given to help others that are disadvantaged or less fortunate in one way or another. And Paul even steps it up a notch in the second part of verse 13 where he says that the ultimate gift that you can ever give is to give your life. And there are people who were martyred for their faith. Uh, Nathan Hale, John, uh, Joan of Arc, Gandhi, St. Andrew, Martin Luther King. And, uh, and let me give you a more practical example. We men have this problem sometimes of getting over-invested in our work and accomplishments and so on. And while we love our family dearly and so on, we don't sometimes know how to show that. And so I've known men who will buy anything and everything for their wives. And some of you are saying, where were they when I was looking? Um, They'll buy the toys and the gadgets for their kids. And they'll give them anything except, except what they want, except what they really need from their dads, their time, their priority, their heart, their attention, their affection, to give themselves to their wives, to their children. And these men often claim to love dearly their family, but often have difficulty showing it. And what do you think that their kids most want? Do their kids want goodies or daddies? And what do you think the wives would choose? Bobbles or, or a lover and husband? I know some of you are thinking, well, show me the bobbles. <laughs> Paul says that if you don't live a life of love, nothing that you can give matters. Do you see it? Do you? I'd encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 13, especially those first three verses a few times this week. And see what the Spirit might be pointing at for you because nothing that you say matters, nothing you know matters, nothing you believe matters, nothing that you give matters unless you love the one thing. Life is love. And it's the only thing that will last Verse 8 of 13 says, love never fails. Love never fails. It can always be depended on, counted on. Dwight L. Moody once said of Henry Drummond, and we'll have a picture of him in a moment. Henry Drummond was a preacher and man of God. And Dwight L. Moody, who was probably the Billy Graham of the 19th century, as Billy Graham was in our 20th century, called Henry Drummond the most Christ-like man that he had ever met. And do we have the picture or we lost it? Oh, there he is. Okay, good. I know some of you thought that was my graduation picture from high school, but... <laughs> he wrote this booklet, a treatise on 1 Corinthians 13, and said, and the sermon title today was, The Greatest Thing in the World is Love. And I think he's right. And I think we'll see in the Scriptures as we go through the series for the next few weeks, we'll see that this is in fact true. And that without love, all the spiritual gifts in the world won't make any difference. Without love for God, without love for our neighbor, without love for ourselves, well, no one will know that we are followers of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Love is the distillation of godly faith. Can you imagine the power that would be unleashed if faith covenant dared to love all people always? Will you take the love dare during this Lenten season? Will you try love on? Will you let it show forth to our community? It starts by living in the reality that God truly loves you and you and you and you. Each one of us, God loves us. And what if our church and all the churches of our community were known for their love? That song we used to sing around the campfire, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Will they know that? We could change the world. I want us to take a couple of moments just to reflect as Sharon plays quietly. And I want to invite you to reflect on God's Word this morning and ask the Holy Spirit to touch your life, to touch your heart with His truth and see what that might feel like. Let's just reflect for a couple of moments together.